Welcome to your fifth week of Reengage. My husband and I always say we want to talk about everything. However, that's really hard to do when our motives are skewed. The goal of our communication should be mutual understanding, not to be right, to win the argument, or to get our point across. Ryan's going to talk through ways that we can begin to correct negative communication patterns that show up in our marriage and also help us see where those habits come from. At risk of dating myself, there is a commercial that I remember in the 80s. You may have seen it. It starts off with a forest fire and it's just this fire is raging and then the, the tape rewinds and the fire quickly recedes. And as the fire gets smaller, it recedes to this one place where you, the camera takes you to a, a campfire and there's a man who's lighting a campfire and he, he throws the uh, match and then you see the smoke starting and then Smokey the Bear comes on and he says, and this is my best impression, only you can prevent forest fires. That was horrible, but you get the idea. Smokey the Bear is you know, sending you this message that you know, a tiny little spark can spread and start in, in, in a forest fire. It can, it, can, it can consume anything because fire is powerful. And James uses that image of fire to describe our tongues. He says in, in James chapter three, it says, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, welcome to Christ Chapel. Uh, it is it's not a cheerful verse, but the truth is it's, it's absolutely accurate. Our, our tongues, it represents our speech. Our words are powerful and they're so powerful that it can set the entire course of our life on fire. And is itself being fueled, it says, by hell. I mean, that is, that is dark, but the truth is, we've experienced, I think, things coming out of our mouths that we, we wish we could take back, but, but the damage is done. It happens in marriage. It happens if you're a parent. And it's captured in this proverb, Proverbs 18, 21, that's at the top of your notes. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Uh, we, I forget on a daily basis, how powerful my words are. And then if I'm not thinking about what's coming out of my mouth, there are certain things that I'll say that I will wish I could take back. And I want to call your attention to one last verse, at least it's on the top of your notes. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If our words are powerful, they're this powerful, why wouldn't we think before we speak? The writer of, the, the, of this proverb is saying that rash words or reckless words, they pierce like a sword. They, it's like a sword thrust. And think back to the last time you stabbed a person. You know, hopefully you've never done that, but we all know what happens. What happens when you stab a person is there's a wound there, but if you take that knife out, what happens to the wound? It, it remains. The damage caused by our words uh, it, it remains. But on the flip side, the words of the wise bring healing. 
Words have the power not just of death, but of life. And we have the ability to speak things that, that build up our spouses or that build up our neighbors or our friends or whoever. But, you know, thinking just in the context of marriage, it's, it reminds me how powerful our communication is, our words are. You know, I want to just address how we can use our words effectively in such a way that they bring life, not that they bring death. And if you're honest with yourself, we don't naturally bring life with our words. We have to be intentional about it. And if we are not intentional at all, often our words bring death. So we can talk all day about strategies for communicating well, but I need to set this out just at the very beginning is before addressing strategies of communication, we need to know that our communication problems are really heart problems. Our communication problems are heart problems. So while it might seem like I'm focusing on our words, I want to make it clear that this is really a matter of the heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it's a verse that we, we brought up in uh, the brokenness talk. Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Words have the power of life when they're rooted in hearts that are honoring God, that love God and are wanting to love others. But they have the power of death when they're rooted in hearts that love ourselves. When, when our hearts are dedicated to selfish desires and self-protection. So, having said that, in order for our communication to be an expression of love, we must learn to speak honest words. And these points are coming straight from Ephesians, just sequentially. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We can withhold information from each other, and that is a failure to speak the truth. And we can tell half-truths, we can exaggerate, we can downplay things. There's a number of ways that we can fall short of speaking the truth, and they're all different forms of falsehood. But his reasoning for giving us this command to speak the truth is really interesting. His reasoning is, for we are members of one another. You're members of one another. You're, you're one body. This applies in the church, but it certainly applies in marriage. You're to speak the truth, honest words to one another, because you're one body. And, you know, if you think about the way the body functions, our bodies need to be on the same page. I mean, if my hand isn't able to communicate with, my brain isn't able to communicate with the different parts of my body. I, there's some problems. There was actually a, a, a book called Pain, The Gift That Nobody Wants. And it, it tells a story about a, a, a little girl who was born without pain sensors. And, you know, on the surface, that might sound kind of nice if you don't have pain sensors. But what they found is, you know, she would be sitting on something that was really hot and burning her leg and not even knowing it. Or um, she cut, when she was little, she cut her finger on accident and was kind of riding it, riding on the ground with blood. And they caught this early on, but they found that this, this idea of having pain is actually a gift. It tells you when there's something wrong. Well, there are times where 
there's something wrong inside or there's something that's going on. And it's at that point we need to speak honest words in order to be on the same page so that you can move forward together. When, when you're on the same page in truth, you're speaking truthful words, you can join together in the context of reality. Otherwise, you're trying to uh, fabricate some false reality, something that isn't real, and you can't move forward as a, as, as a couple. Self-disclosure is critical. It's a critical expression of growth in Christ. You know, um, in Genesis, Genesis 2, Adam and Eve were both naked and not ashamed. They had unity. They are on the same page. There was, there was no shame. There was no concealment. There's no deception. But when sin entered, they immediately hid and they began concealing and hiding. They felt that shame. Redemption in Christ means that our shame is covered. Our, our sin has been paid for. There's no need to hide. We now have the ability to get onto the same page and be unified because our sins are covered. Our sins are forgiven. And we have a savior who knows us through and through. He's cleansed us. He's touched us. He's, he's, um, there's no need to conceal. So words have the power of life and death. And in Christ, we have the ability to actually speak the truth. And when we actually know that we're walking in truth with God, it allows us to be in speaking the truth to one another. We need honest words. The next one here, in order for communication to be an expression of love, we must learn to speak current words. And that's from Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know, there's, there's a common misunderstanding with this verse that a lot of people will be told, a lot of couples, young couples will be told, do not let an argument go unfinished. You know, don't go to bed with an argument unfinished. And so they'll be resolved to solve that conflict, even if it takes them into three in the morning. And the truth is that, um, that only works for night owls. <laughs> if you're a night person, you might be okay with that. But if you're a morning person, that's, that's basically, that becomes a tool of manipulation. Like we need to solve this thing right now. And the, the, the reason I, I'm pushing back against that interpretation is this, this is actually a quote. And this New Te Testament verse is an Old Testament quote from Psalm 4, verse 4, which David says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts and on your beds and be silent. So David is saying, just don't sin in your anger. But when you are anger, angry, ponder in your hearts on your beds. So he let the sun go down on his anger in a sense. Now, I think what this, this prescription is, is if you have anger and you allow time to go by and you never address it, it's going to lead to bitterness. It's when you're angry, the first person you really need to go to is you look back at Psalm verse four, uh, chapter four, verse four, David was pondering his anger in his heart. He was talking to God. We need, when we're angry, we need the, the first person we go to needs to be God. Sometimes we bypass going to God and we go straight to our spouse and we 
hash it out. And even if, the, if it gets late at night and you're getting tired, you just keep on hashing it out. And if you're a night owl, you'll manipulate with that. Or if you just, maybe you're too afraid to, to let that argument uh, go unresolved for the, for the moment. But if you say, you know what, we need to sleep on this and I need to go, and with a priority, I need to go to God, work this out with him. You know, God, what am I supposed to do with this anger? And then as a matter of urgency, go to your spouse. Matthew 5, 23 says, don't let thing, these things go unresolved. Make this a first priority. Even if you're on your way to worship, set your gift down at the altar and go make things right with your brother who's angry with you. So deal with God and then deal with your spouse, but make it current. Do not let your anger go unprocessed. There needs to be a conversation, but the starting point doesn't start with your spouse. It starts with the Lord. Okay, Third thing, in order for our communication to be an expression of love in life, we must learn to speak uplifting words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Uplifting words, a simple way to say it is, attack the problem, not the person. Corrupting an unwholesome talk is, is being directly, you know, contrasted for what is good for building up, uplifting. It, speech that builds people into the image of Christ, Christ-likeness. What words can encourage your spouse toward love and good deeds and faith? Wholesome talk, it can be uh, misunderstood to mean what helps me or what helps the other person feel better. But no, it's, it's not about self-esteem, it's about holiness. So sometimes you're gonna have to say something that's difficult to hear, but if it's done with the aim of building that other person up and you know, encouraging holiness, then it's their up, uplifting words. So the criteria I'm talking about for uplifting words are things that build the other person toward maturity in Christ. And one way to do that is to remember who they are. You know, we have a tendency if we're frustrated to say things like, you're, you're always getting on my case, or you're, you're crazy, what's going on? Uh, saying these things that and it can get a lot worse, uh, there, there are things that come out of our mouths that, that tear down, that kind of identify the other person is there's something wrong with you. Or when, when the truth is Christ, rescued sinners and he is, he, we're children of God and he's creating us. It's transforming us into his image. And we're called to speak those words that, that remind us of who we are. You know, if you've seen the Lion King, uh, it's at Mufasa and Simba. I never remember who the, the dad is. I, so I think Simba is the, the little one and he's, he grows up and in his time, he kind of wanders away and he forgets who he is. And Mufasa comes and he says, you are more than you have become. In James Earl Jones's voice, you are more than you've become, son. And that's his way of reminding his son that you've wandered, but it's positive. So here's a couple of ways, examples I have. Instead of saying you're a coward, say something like, hey, be strong. God's with you. I know you feel weak, but his power is made perfect in your weakness. That's so different than saying you're a coward. Stop being a coward. 
you're crazy. I, I love that one. I seem to bring it up. Uh, you're crazy. No, how can you say that in a way that is uplifting? Not, how, to, how can you say you're crazy? But how can you say in an uplifting way, something like, hey, you know, I know you're stressed, but you can cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God's with you right now. There's such a difference. Of, you know, of course you forgot to take out the trash. You always forget. Now, there's, I, I, there's all these examples, uplifting words, reminding someone of the, the reality of who they are in Christ will motivate them. One last example. You only care about yourself. You know, there might be some truth in that, that there's, that's probably not entirely true. Think of how different it would be to say, I believe that deep down you want to honor Christ. I believe that deep down you want to honor God with this. We need to be careful to be, to, to understand the complexity of our spouse's hearts. They are not all one thing. We are all a mixture of good and bad motives and sin and, and righteousness. So speaking uplifting words lifts that up and promotes change quicker than anything else. In order for our words to be an expression of life, we also need to speak forgiving words. Now, this takes us back to the forgiveness talk. Uh, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. I'm not going to spend much time on this other than to say unforgiveness will poison your speech. And it's going to come out in a wide variety of words that are characterized by verse 31 there. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Those are all nuances of anger that whether you're a person who blows up or you're a person who stuffs it down, it's still that unforgiveness is going to poison your speech. But when you forgive, it, it, it transforms your speech. Speaking forgiving words. Next, life-giving words, communication that's an expression of love means we speak thankful words. Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You know, the heart, it follows the mouth. And if you're not feeling thankful, my prescription, I think Paul's prescription is to go ahead and speak thankful words. Because if you start expressing thankfulness, you move from feeling entitled to feeling grateful. I've done this uh, a number of times when I'm, in a, I'm feeling self-pity or I'm discouraged, is I start thanking God for things and a way to, to approach it is to go through the ABCs. A, God... Thank you for, I can't think of an A thing right now. Artichokes. I, I love artichokes. All right. B, thank you for Brandy. Thank you for my wife. She's, she's a gift. C, thank you for Charlie, my son. He is, uh, is, he's growing and I just love him. And by the time you get to F, you're probably going to be in tears and your heart is going to be overflowing with, with gratitude. Speak thankful words. And then, Last, speak scriptural words. It says, Ephesians 5, 19, he goes on and says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, heart, to the Lord with your heart. This is why 
being in the Word is so important to transforming our speech. We need to renew our minds. We, we don't just naturally speak biblical or scriptural words. We need to have the Word in us. And, you know, I'd say take, take it a little bit at a time and, and think about it throughout the day. That's the most likely way it's going to come out your mouth rather than trying to uh, drink from a fire hose and read seven chapters every morning. No, if, if you're not regularly in the Word, then start small, but make it, make it an effort to be meditating and thinking about what it is that you read and share it with somebody else. Share what it is that God's teaching you. You're going to find your... your your communication, your words are being transformed by that mere exercise. You're speaking biblical words. What's really interesting about this is you take all of these words, these types of words are called to speak to each other. They come straight out of Ephesians 4 and 5. Now, Paul doesn't start that letter by telling us how we're supposed to speak. He actually starts Ephesians chapters one, two, and three with what, what you call impair, uh, indicatives. Indicatives are things that are true of you in Christ. They're true whether you remember them or not. If, if you've trusted in Christ, you're an adopted son of God. If, if you, uh, God set his love and affection on you before you were even created. He goes through and tells us about the spiritual blessings we have in Christ and all the things that have done, our sins have been paid for. That's chapters one, two, and three, the indicatives. But then chapter four, he begins with the imperatives. Because this stuff is true, therefore, speak this way. Our, our hearts should be transformed and it should be coming out of our mouths. Our repentance, it doesn't begin here with our words. It, become, it, it begins at the level of our heart as we come before God, who has given us the most life-giving words we can imagine. So that's the last point here. Life-giving words, they don't come from your mouth. They come from your heart. When I wrote this originally, I got into, uh, the, the weeks leading up to it, I had gotten into an argument with Brandy on our way to our Thanksgiving trip. And I knew that I was speaking on this topic, but in the process of that argument, I was trying to control my speech, but it wasn't working. Things were coming out of my mouth. They weren't the worst things that ever came out, but they were still hurtful. And I was, I'm thinking, you're about to teach on this stuff and you can't control your speech. And I had to stop and pull over and get out of the car and pray and address my heart before God. I knew that nothing would change coming out of my mouth until I stopped and addressed what was going on on my heart with God. And when I was reminded in that short prayer time, God, you love me despite the fact that I'm a sinner. You, you, you've forgiven me of so much more. He began to transform my heart. I got to get back in the car and things turned. And I know Brandy was doing the same thing. And this is, this is the way it works, is we can't just focus on what we're supposed to speak. We actually get to, we need to focus, start with our hearts before God. Then our words will be transformed. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you transform our hearts? Would you remind us of your love, your goodness, and your grace toward us? And then as a result, would you transform our mouths? Help us to speak life-giving words that allow us to love not only our spouses, but our kids and our coworkers and our neighbors in a way that honors you and blesses them with love and life. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.